Hey, everybody. Welcome to Locked on Lakers for Friday. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky got a fun show planned for you today. The Lakers adjusting to life without Trevor Ariza. But big picture, what do things look like for this team? What was good? What was bad? And what do we think about uh, them heading into the regular season? Plus, fantasy talk. All of that coming with Josh Lloyd, host of the Locked on NBA podcast on Mondays. And, of course, the Locked on Fantasy podcast. We'll do all of it next. You are Locked On Lakers, your daily Los Angeles Lakers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah, it's it's starting to get busy around here, Andy, with uh, with the injury to Ariza and the, the Lakers at least creeping towards getting their big three out on the floor. Um, and I have a... a in a really important fantasy draft coming up uh, in about a week. And so you put all of those things Nobody together. cares, you, Brian. No, I do. <laughs> I, I care. Mm-hmm. I care. And Mike Trudell cares. Um, Trudell you put cares all of those lot. things together, and you couldn't come up with a better guest because uh, I'm not the only person who has fantasy questions or NBA questions. So we're gonna That is both. true. With Josh Lloyd, you know him as the host of the Locked on NBA podcast, Uh, On Mondays, and of course, the Lock on Fantasy podcast, which is, I'm sure, Josh, completely blowing up right now, given where we are in the season. Thanks so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Brian, Andy, uh, thanks for having me on. So, you know, Andy and I really, every every 10 days or so, really like to step back and get the, because we get so granular with everything. Everything seems like a really big deal. Everything seems incredibly important um, with the Lakers uh, down to, like, you know, who's going to fill that second two-way role. Um, it's nice to step back and get the perspective of somebody who looks at it from outside of L.A. When you look at where the roster is, especially now that Ariza is out, let's start with the negative stuff. What concerns you? What makes you a little bit nervous about the way this team is put together? Um, well, one of the big things that was you know, making me nervous throughout what they did in the offseason was where is the perimeter defense um you know giving or not not giving up on but you know alex caruso going who's obviously an elite perimeter defender like losing that and then not really replacing it and then pinning your hopes i guess on trevor ariza and then that you know falling over to begin the season is it's not that, that that's probably my big worry like westbrook it gives the impression of being a good defender but he's a lot of um I don't know, a lot of show rather than results on that end and it loses focus so much. And I just, yeah, in the front court, fine. you got great rim protection. That, that's great. Davis and, and Howard. Deodre Jordan's a little bit lost on defense these days, but I'm not sure he's going to play all that much. But on the perimeter and on the wing, um, I'm a little bit concerned about who actually can defend anybody out there. Well, I mean, that that's actually been a concern for us and I think for a lot of people observing the team. But the way you hear Frank Vogel, Rob Palenka, and the guys on the team talk about, I think they're, while they wouldn't cop to the idea that they lost defensive talent, I do think that there is an idea that no matter who they have, Frank Vogel's ability to implement a defensive scheme, communicate the defensive scheme itself, can really paper over the personnel itself. And they would look at the last two years as the evidence of it, um, particularly last season when guys were in and out of the lineup and they still had an elite defense. How much do you subscribe to that, uh, like the idea that ultimately the system can overcome some of that stuff. Uh, there's there's definitely a part of that, right? Like Vogel had those great defenses in Indiana, but 
he didn't in Orlando. Like that wasn't the Orlando team wasn't particularly good. They weren't this elite defensive team when he was there. And yeah, that's you know trying to make something happen with the system in different parts. And it didn't particularly work that well for him there. And while that's true, you know, Davis and LeBron being out last year, they still maintained a number one defense. Alex Crusoe and Contavious Caldwell Pope were handling so many of those um perimeter defensive roles and even to a degree Kyle Kuzma stepped up defensively too and those guys aren't there and they're replaced by Malik Monk, Wayne Ellington, Kendrick Nunn, Russell Westbrook. Yeah, Kent Bazemore's a pretty good defender too, but he's almost gonna have to be shouldering that load by himself. So while I do think there is you know, faith to be had in Vogel doing that because he is a really good defensive coach and it's been proven in you know, in multiple areas. It hasn't been proven with a 100% success rate and now you're doing it with not average talent that you can elevate to above average. You're getting like bad defenders and below average defenders and trying to make them somewhat passable. So you won't say that they're going to be the worst defense because I don't think that there's, they're nowhere near that. But will they be you know top five sort of defense that they were last season? I think that's probably where... Do you think they... Not to interrupt you, Josh, but do you think they could be upper third or like, you know, top 12? Because if that combined with the offensive upgrade that is expected because Mm. of the people that they brought in who are, as you pointed out, more offensive than defensive specialists, there's the idea that, you know, (laughs) the last couple of seasons, they've needed to be that good defensively because their offense was often just a slog. Do I think they could be top 12? I I would say... Yeah, I don't think that's outrageous. I would probably pencil them in more top 15, like top half versus that top third. But hmm. ideally for a championship contender, you want them to be you, – you want top 10 is normally the aim. If you could be top 10 offense, top 10 defense, then you're right up there. So, you know, 12 is obviously not top 10, but it is it is realistic to expect them there. I wouldn't – if I had to you know, put money on it and, and rank out the defenses now, I probably wouldn't put them there. But they'd be in that 15 to 17 type area. So that's not far off. It's really funny. Like you, Andy and I have talked a lot about Baysmore, and you know, Ariza, Ariza is one of the most important members of of the supporting cast in a lot of ways because of the the positionality, the scarcity of amount of the, just the amount of people that they had there. And he's really, other than Davis and LeBron, among the non big three, kind of the only reliable defender who you can put in that position. And, you know, Carmelo Anthony is the only other you know yeah. legit forward that they have you know, full-time forward left on the roster. Um, it's it's kind of crazy. Like Kent Bazemore now becomes arguably the fourth most important player on the team. And like, it is a, I don't know if you're a Lakers fan, if you feel good about that or not. You know, he's had, you know, he played, I think, better than a lot of Warriors fans complained about last year in Golden State. Um, and he's a good, solid two-way guy. And if he shoots 40% from three-point land, you know, the Lakers are going to be in, in pretty good shape there. But the idea that you have the big three and then your fourth most important player is Kent Bazemore is a very strange place to be kind of intellectually for me. <laughs> and, and and it's a strange place to be from a roster construction standpoint. Yeah, look, it absolutely is. And, you know, you can compare Bazemore and Ariza. Ariza's got, you know, three or four inches on him as well. So, yeah, Bazemore's more of a guy that you want guarding down versus Ariza pushing up like at a stretch Bazemore can go to threes but putting him onto fours if he needs to switch out that's not going to be a great option whereas Ariza I don't know Ariza's what six eight six nine and Bazemore's mm-hmm. a lot shorter than that so they are yeah, important as as wing defenders but they are a little bit different in that respect as well and, and Bazemore was really solid for the Warriors last season I don't buy him being a consistent 40% three-point shooter but he also struggled in plenty of his other stops before that like he was pushed out of Atlanta because he just lost all yeah, semblance of form and did, re- rediscovered it in Golden State, but the stops in between, he wasn't that same guy. So 
while best case scenario for Bazemore, you go, okay, that, that's great. We can rely on that. But do we get that? Like, is that necessarily what he's going to provide given that it's sort of been a little bit spotty over the last three years or so? All right, last you- thing on this, and then we'll we're, we'll get to the, the the optimistic stuff, get the bad news out of the way first, and then get to the things that we really like about this team, which, by the way, most people, even after the Ariza thing, still think are going to win the Western Conference and have a legit shot to win an NBA title this year. If you're Vogel, the, Ariza was um, kind of presumptively penciled in as a starter in these lineups where uh, Anthony Davis plays, starts at the five, you put in Ariza and Ellington it sort of had you know, by reports had been uh, the number one candidate there, but it could be Monk, it could be THT, it could be anybody. Um, Do you think this pushes him more towards playing small, more consistently because Ariza isn't there? Or do you think they go to more of the security blanket of pushing AD back to the four, starting DeAndre Jordan, um, presumably, so Dwight can play with that second unit? Um, Which direction do you think they'll go? Well, I think, yeah. If if I was doing it, I'd probably do a different different thing to what I expect Vogel to. I think it does push him towards maybe going back to starting another center. But the problem with putting DeAndre Jordan there is it makes your offense worse in terms of spacing, so it's worse shooting. I also think it makes your defense worse because DeAndre Jordan is not a good defender. Like he gets by people thinking that he's a good defender because he made an all defensive team four or five years ago. If you got some of his defensive stuff from last year or the year before, like it's really, really bad. It's it's embarrassingly bad. Like Dwight Howard, fine. I, I think he's a really good defender. But if you're going to have Jordan out there, you hurt your spacing and I think you hurt your defense in that first unit. But I can think or I do think that Vogel might actually lean lean back towards that. Um, I think what you you would love to happen is if Horton Tucker, who's got all the measurables to be that wing defensive replacement for a reason, if he could actually be or had that upgrade defensively and he could slot into that role, he hasn't he hasn't really shown it outside of some flashes to do it. But that's what I'd be trying to see whether, hey, can you take that step forward? Can you be a guy, guy with your, what, you know, 6'10 wingspan or whatever it is, maybe even bigger than that, get out there and just throw your hands into passing lanes and get up in the face of these wings and provide some sort of defensive presence out there? Because I think that helps you maintain a level of your offense without hurting your defense as much. Um, all right. So I, I know Lakers fans are... are hoping it's seven foot wingspan for for THD it's in, it's go. insane given his height um he looks like he has somebody else's arms like taped onto his body um but let's let th- this is this is a concern i think for a lot of lakers fans what they do with the lineup but the the big thing is we haven't seen the big 3 play together yet the lakers have a tremendous amount of high end talent so let's switch gears from the things that worry you about this year's team and get into the happier stuff the more optimistic stuff what uh, what you find encouraging about the Lakers and how far you think they can go. We'll do all that next. Locked on Lakers brought to you by Sleeper. In 2018, the fantasy sports experts at Sleeper realized that fantasy basketball was broken. So broken, in fact, that it sent our guest, Josh Lloyd, into deep, deep therapy, just trying to get past how broken the entire industry that he is a part of was. But thankfully... Damn near quit, is my understanding. Yeah, so oh no. no wash my we, hands of all of this. We, we've been worried about Josh for years because of the effect of, of fantasy basketball and just how terrible it was. There was no strategy involved. There were, people realized that you were banking on players who had fewer scheduled games that week. It made the whole thing not fun. But thankfully, the folks over at Sleeper figured a way around it. It's called Game Pick. And Game Pick owners... Pick a single game per week for each starter to count towards the team's total score, ensuring an even number of games 
played between opponents, no more losing sleep because your opponent's players had more scheduled games that week, no more giving up halfway through the season because, my God, that is busy work trying to account for that, and you got a life. But in Game Pick, you pick one game per week for each player based on player matchups, home versus away, opponent's defensive ranking, pace of play, all that good stuff. They offer redraft, they offer dynasty, they offer keeper. So if you prefer strategy as opposed to laborious, busy work, and you love, but you still love fantasy basketball, you're going to love Game Pick. So download the Sleeper app, start a league with your friends today. You will not be disappointed. Okay. With the Lakers this year, one of the things I, I'm starting to really look forward to based on even just on these these two preseason games where um, you know the big three has not been on the floor uh, and Anthony Davis has played kind of working his way back into shape. I'm not taking a lot of stock in any of the production, even if it was great. I am really excited about sort of the impact Westbrook is going to have on their speed and you know getting up and down the floor because the one thing that sticks out with this group is they really are built to kind of move and built to set up, you know, the, the three point shooting and transition, all of these other things. How, how, when you look at the Westbrook thing and the fit of the big three, what do you find encouraging about the way the Lakers are put together? Well, that was what I was going to say is, is the speed. Um, and Westbrook plays at yeah, frenetic pace and energy. The Wizards, I think, were top two or top three in pace last season. They might have even been number one. Like they were playing at a breakneck speed, mainly because of the way. The Russ attacks not only you know, the boards defensively, but he when he gets it and runs and gets the ball out of his hands, sometimes the, the pace can be too quick as he's taking you know, contested jumpers with 21 seconds left on a shot clock, but he does get things moving and get you know, energy and chaos happening uh, offensively. Do you think he's going to do that as much this year? <clears throat> I, I think he's going to be on his best behavior on, in that regard. I hope not because you know, we hearken back to that time when he was in Houston playing with James Harden and he did reel in so much of this. And what we saw is him you know, doing um, you know, or being able to play in a role where he was functionally almost like a, a center uh, on offense and playing with other guys around that could shoot and being able to take more high percentage shots. And we saw his usage actually um, go down and his scoring go down and we saw his field goal percentage go up in that two three month run they had when they were you know, starting Robert Covington at center now Covington and Davis are not the same player but in terms of being able to shoot it's not like having Clint Capella or Dwight Howard out there so I do think that there will be some reining in of that that's you know my criticisms of Russ in the past have always just been like, just cut out the dumb stuff. Like this, this stuff is dumb. Like there's no need for that. Like you can, you you can be electric and you can do all these things and you can set guys up and you can pass and you can drive and you can you know, attack. But why are you taking a three on one jumper with 21 seconds left when when you know it's not going to go in? Like that's my problem. And I do believe that he will have. You know, LeBron's not going to you know, put up with that stuff. Like he's going to be like, what are you doing? Like let's fix it up. And I think even if it does happen, it will be at a smaller clip and it will be corrected pretty fast. I think. We, we just talked about, Josh, on a recent show, the NBA uh, GM survey, the, the annual one that comes out every year. And it was really interesting how Anthony Davis fell off a lot this year in terms of representation with voting compared to the previous season coming off the championship. And it's felt a lot like AD is looking to reestablish himself this year. He's been the only member of the big three to play in the preseason so far. He actually requested extra time um, during Wednesday's game in Phoenix. Um, what are you expecting from this year? 
it, it is an interesting one because last season we know that you know the injuries hurt like in terms of games played like he missed a ton but even when he played there were so many things that were off like his block rate dropped dramatically his rebounds dropped dramatically he couldn't hit free throws for some reason like everything was off with his game now how much of that is the short off season i think you got to factor a, a lot of that in i'd be I'd, I'd be really excited about a huge bounce back from Davis if Westbrook, say, wasn't there just from a purely statistical point of view because we know that as a historical thing, when Westbrook's playing like big men, they do drop their rebound rate. So that, you know, while Davis dropped that down last season, is there scope for him to push that back up to where it was in the past if Westbrook's going to be coming in and, and grabbing his requisite, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 rebounds or whatever he's going to do? Um, and does Davis... Uh, is Davis able to get a an increase in usage with Westbrook there, which might be a challenge as well. So I think that we'll see some of his stuff improve. Hopefully we get the shooting percentages to improve. But look, if he came out and put up, you know, and was the leading scorer on this team and put up MVP type numbers, I don't think I'd be surprised at all. I can really see it happening. It's just that there is that, it's not really a, a handicap, but just having Westbrook there just, just takes that edge off, I guess, the overall upside of him getting back to that absolute elite level that he was, you know, say when he was with the Pelicans or, or that first season in, in LA. It's funny because like, I, I feel like it's, it's going to be hard to measure out the sort of, to separate the statistics from the performance in some yeah. degree with the Lakers, because they have three guys who can just put up huge numbers in multiple categories. And I, in, in a second, I actually kind of want to get your breakdown. Like if what that, what that looks like from a statistical standpoint, fantasy standpoint, whatever, but like, I, I, from just from a basketball standpoint, I feel like this whole thing is is set up for AD to thrive more than any of them. Be just because you look at LeBron, who is naturally not you know inclined to to feel any need to go out and score, um, but you know it, it loves to distribute and all that. Westbrook, who certainly has scoring instincts, but loves to distribute. And both of those guys, I think, have a willingness and a desire to kind of, you know, I mentioned Westbrook's, I think, wanting to, you know, kind of really prove people like, look, I can do these things that people say I can't from a sort of basketball behavior standpoint. All of this to me funnels towards Davis and putting him back in a position where he can be a dominant. I don't know if he'll win MVP, but I feel like statistically, from a scoring standpoint, he ought to lead that crew in scoring. I mean, wouldn't you agree with that? Uh, I do think he's, he's going to get a lot of easy, easy looks. He's going to get plenty of those. Um, a lot of lobs coming in as well from Russ, who's you know, pretty good at throwing those lobs. Uh, I don't know if he will lead the team in scoring. I think it'll be him and LeBron will be pretty similar. Like LeBron averages 26 points basically every single season. I don't really think that LeBron's going to, he, he'll just work his way into 26 points somehow, even though he is such a, a large distributor of the ball. So I can see them both being around you know, 25 points pretty easily. And Davis could get that edge over him like without any, any concern whatsoever. But I think, yeah, you're right. Like the, the numbers might not look gigantically bigger than what they were, but this is a guy that, yeah, again, struggled last season, but I think he's very going to be firmly in the the all-NBA discussion. Like, re, like he's back straight in there. Like we didn't even consider that last season with even how he played on a per-game basis. But you know, this season, you'll be like, oh, well, let, let's don't forget Anthony Davis is a, as an all-NBA big man, and we're putting him in there in one of those first couple of teams. How difficult? Right. Do you, oh, go ahead. Andy. Really sorry. quick, in terms of the the big three and, and melding them together, what, what do you see as the biggest challenge with making that work? But also, too, are there areas that you think are actually a little more cohesive than people may be recognizing? Just because Russ is such a specific player, and there is some degree of redundancy between him and LeBron. Yeah. Look, I think. 
you just you have to focus back on that time when you played with Harden. Like Harden and LeBron are different, but they're not that different, right? They are guys who have got really high-level passing IQ and instincts, and we can you know, criticize Harden for oh, look how much ISO he does and all this dribbling, and all this sort of stuff. But he passes a ton, and he sets guys up a huge amount. And Westbrook was able to coexist with him without any problem at all. Like he figured it out. And I would have had way more concern if they had have been, all right, Russ, you're playing, but Davis, you're at the four, and we're going to have another big man who can't shoot out there at all times. We talked about it earlier with the Ariza thing. That's why it worries me somewhat there. But if they're going Davis and LeBron at the four and the five, that helps the Westbrook fit with those guys immeasurably. And it makes it, yeah, you know, it make a lot more sense to me to have those guys together. And I think, again, you just look back at what he did there. He re- reigned in what he did. Westbrook didn't dominate the ball when he played with Houston. He's, he's for a guy that averaged triple doubles beforehand and after being in Houston, he averaged seven assists per game in Houston because he recognized what Harden was doing on that team, much like he'll recognize what LeBron's doing, much like I think he'll recognize what Davis can do. And I do think he'll be able to bring all that stuff together and work in a similar way to he did in Houston. Um, all right. So we, we have, we were talking about AD. We do have an AD-related fantasy question for you, and I want to kind of get your feel on where you would take uh, the members of the big three uh, so a, a quick trip into fantasy basketball with the Lakers. We'll do all of that next. Locked on Lakers brought to you by Bet Online. Back better than ever. All eyes right now on the gridiron as teams are all the way back for another football season. The NFL so far has just been fantastic. My fantasy team, by the way, uh, with a name that I cannot uh, no. repeat on this show. Can't repeat it. It's funny, but I cannot repeat it. No, no, you can't. It is, and it, it is, is funny. Un- You're right. It is, un, it is funny. It is also an undefeated team. Uh, Bet Online, your number one spot for all the pro and college action this season. They even, I think, offer bets on my fantasy team. With a new updated site and interface, more odds, props, and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. So head to the website, use your mobile device, sign up today, receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use the promo code. Locked on from football, basketball, boxing, right down to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online the fastest, easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. Locked on Lakers also brought to you by Built Bar. Andy, if you are like me, you are somebody who needs uh, you, you need energy, you need good tasting food and you need healthy stuff for like all the, the you're, you're driving around, you're dropping the kids off at school, all that kind of things. Um, and that's Built Bar. It's high in protein, but it's low in sugar and calories. And the improved Built Bar is even more delicious than before. 18 flavors, including the new ones like caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia. I like that one a lot. Built Bar can also calm my sweet tooth because even without all that sugar, they're still coated in 100% chocolate. And unlike some protein bars, they're actually soft and easy to chew. So you go to BuiltBar.com, you use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, use the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Okay, Josh, so we got this question from uh, at Kobe something 81, something about Kobe in 81. Lakers Believer uh, is is the handle there. Um, It's a very simple question. So I'll ask this one first, but then I want to get your opinion on kind of the big three more broadly. Uh, was I wrong picking AD at nine over Carl uh, Anthony Towns? Well, I can't tell you whether you're wrong 
or not. No, no to judge him. Josh, absolutely right judge him harshly if need yeah. be. Call yeah. him a, a moron, a stupid face, a person who has is he, tanked his ability to win his league. Well, I mean, also, is he a person of low character? Do you, yes. do you picture him somebody who's basically screwing up the rest of his Probably life? Probably cheats well, on his wife, I would yeah. think. And, you know, potentially, depending on whether or not or her this wife, was the right thing to do. Her husband. We, we have no idea the gender. Right. We also we don't care. <laughs> um, well, if this was on, if this is on my show, like I'm, uh, you said your your fantasy team name is is too rude to uh, to put on air. Like I'm, oh, it's I'm not like, too rude. It's, it's actually like, not it's really not, rude at all. It just, I, it's not better safe. Everyone. Better safe than sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it is funny though. It's very I, funny. We'll tell just, you. When, we'll tell you after. I just I just give out warnings and then I just let them fly anyway. So anyway, did you make a mistake? Yes. Um, that, <laughs> it's as simple as that. But in the end, like there is a chance. Like in that first round, I, I'd rather go for something where I feel confident with it, which I feel more confident in what Towns is going to do because I just don't know how the Westbrook edition is going to um, impact Davis. Davis could finish ahead of him, sure, by all means. There's no worries about that. Davis has been a number one fantasy player for a couple of years. Towns has been a top five guy for uh, you know four or five years as well. And they're both if you know, Towns is available at nine, something's gone pretty wrong in your league. I believe I was, that was um, my they, question. It's like yeah. I think he's going to win his league just because apparently he's playing with morons. Yeah. If, if, if Towns was still there at nine, but yeah, um, Towns should be going in that in that five to six type area. But yeah, he's I believe his uh, average draft position is at nine at the moment, which uh, I talked about on my show yesterday, which didn't make a huge amount of sense. I would not take Davis over Towns just because of the risk factor, but there's, you know, there is a, you know, say 30% chance that he ends up having a better season. Yeah. And uh, so take that Lakers believer and and why don't you treat your, your, your partner a little better. Okay. While you're at it, you know, let's show a little faith. Where would you take the members of the big three? Davis to me is a guy that when you're looking in that area at that, end of a standard first round 12 team. So that 12, 13, 14 sort of area, um, start of the start of the second round, end of the first round, around that sort of zone, because you get into that area where like, okay, I've got you know, Paul George or yeah, Bradley Beal, how worried am I about him missing games due, due to COVID protocols? Um, yeah, what am I doing in that area? That it's that sort of spot to me. That yeah, if you wanted to go at eleven, because you worried maybe say about where Embiid fits or you know how his injuries go if he's sliding down. If you wanted Davis there, but Davis has some similar injury history and, and risks associated with him. I think that 12, 12 to fourteen range is probably about right for Davis. LeBron, I did a draft a couple of days ago for the guys at uh, NBC Sports Edge, and I was picking at like twenty six or twenty seven. So I took LeBron. Uh, in that spot, and I think that's the area that that I feel more comfortable. Wow, with LeBron. Wow. Like he, he he wasn't his free throws are a big issue, right? If you're in a, a points league, then LeBron goes in that same area as Davis, that twelve to thirteen sort of zone. But the the impact of his high volume and poor free throw shooting is is something that does drag his overall value down. And the same happens with Westbrook. Yeah, these guys have significant uh, deficiencies in their free throw shooting. And if you're in a points league where that doesn't count, then you're looking at those guys all around that early, early second, late first type of area. But the drag that those categories have pushes them down a little bit more. So I think that LeBron in the back end of the second round, early third round is probably about right. And then Westbrook, I would push down a, a little bit further, probably into like the 30s, just because I, I don't think he's going to be a triple-double guy this year. I don't think he's going to average 20 points. And then you have the issues with his you know, poor free throws and low volume threes. Yeah, I agree with that. Actually, I feel like if, if Andy, if like things are going wrong, if Westbrook's averaging 25, 26 points a game, it means somebody else got hurt. So I'm, yeah. I'm not looking forward to that 
at all. Yeah, I, I still think he's actually capable of hitting double-digit assists, but I do agree with Josh that the the points are going to go down. I mean, I, I expect LeBron and Westbrook's points to go down. AD's uh, quite possibly to go up. Uh, when, when you look at uh, fantasy drafts from sort of an overarching view, Josh, is, it, is there a particular stat that you think should be more coveted than it is? Like maybe people don't realize it's it's hard to do well in this one or there there's a value that should be placed on a particular one that for whatever reason doesn't happen um i did a show about this a couple of days ago as well talking about yeah where where runs of certain stats come off the board in a fantasy draft and it surprised me how hard it is to get solid rebounders the later you go into a draft um and i don't think people really view that that much because i think i'll just grab these crappy centers towards the end but with the way the center position is is that when you get towards that end of the draft you're looking at guys who might be timeshare centers and they're playing 24 25 minutes a night whether that's you know mason Plumley or it's ken birch in toronto or you're getting um a kelly Olynyk who's going to be a backup in detroit like they can be productive but they're playing 23 24 minutes a night and they're not pulling down big rebound numbers i think everyone knows that assist is a, is a category that is really it flies off the board in those first four or five rounds but rebounds is one that that has similar uh, lack of depth as you go later on and it's not quite as publicized that it can be harder to find those um those really solid big men later in a draft all right my last question here is both a fantasy question and a an nba question so we can kind of do them both at the same time Kyrie Irving can't practice right now and he can't play. Um, so the, let, let's tackle it from a no, he, he can't play home he, games. Can't play home I was going to say, he only can't play in the arena for the team that he represents. Right. And and I should say, if, if Steve if Nash a has a policy similar to my, my kids' soccer coaches where if you don't practice, you're not allowed to play, um, he's going to have trouble on the road too. But um, what do you do with Kyrie in drafts, particularly like I play in a keeper league. So the idea yeah. of like drafting Kyrie in the ninth round or something like that, and then he comes back and next year when COVID, like there's appeal there for being able to keep a guy like that. What do you do with Kyrie? And then I just want to have like that quick conversation of how you think this impacts the Nets and the race in the Eastern Conference. All right, so a couple of a couple of things with this. Um, Kyrie can't at this point play the 41 home games. He also can't play games in Madison Square Garden. He also may not be able to play games at Staples Center. Because, yeah, that new, uh, we're not sure. No, exactly. He can. Visiting players are exempt from those things. Did, so he will be able to play in California and San Francisco, in, in LA and San Francisco. Visiting visiting players are exempt in New York and in San Francisco. But I thought the LA one was a little bit more restrictive. Did they say that visiting I players? Think, were, I think I'm okay. about 95% sure on that. So that adds one game that <laughs> Kyrie can play. So he's going to miss 43 minimum. That's not including any injuries. And, you know, a week or so ago, I was feeling pretty optimistic that, okay, he's, he's going to end up doing this. He's going to get vaccinated, and and that's fine. And with this is a guy that was a, a first round player last season. And even if you factor in the games that he missed, he was still the eleventh best fantasy player, factoring in like on total value. Like that's how good he was, right? So you know that like he's really really good if he plays. And at some point, there's a, a risk in selecting him. So I've been telling people on my show like outside the top fifty, I'll I will take a flyer on him because if he does end up getting vaccinated right, then you've got yourself a top 20, top 15 player. And if he doesn't and he plays those 41 games, well, he's, he's pretty useless to you, but you haven't burnt a second round pick. You burnt a fifth round pick and that's that's recoverable from. And it's if you're a gambling type, taking that risk on someone there, the 
the return on that, if it actually pays off, works. But now I'm, I'm especially with that Woj report the other day, like I'm way less confident that he's going to get vaccinated. In fact, yeah, at, at this point, I'm not. Maybe I'm not quite there, but I feel. I feel like he's more likely to retire than he is to get vaccinated. And that's maybe that's just being hyperbolic, but I think there's a real risk in that. And you mentioned keeper leagues. I did a, a dynasty league startup draft yesterday. He got picked at number 71 in that draft, which could end up being really good value, but mm-hmm. he could legitimately in at the end of this season or end of next season say, oh, I'm done. Like I'm just, I'm just not playing anymore. I just don't want to do it anymore. And I don't think that that would be a complete shock. So there's, oh, yeah. there's, a, there's a ton of risk with, with him in all of these drafts. Again, if you take that, Outside the top 50, I'd happily do it just because the risk reward, I think, leans your way. And if it doesn't work, then oh well, like it's not great, but you can recover from it. But long term, he's not a guy I expect to play till he's 35. No, no, I don't think so. Uh, but stepping away from the things that really matter into back into the real world, what do you think this does to the to the Eastern Conference race? Because you know, Milwaukee wasn't that far behind, I think, in, in when you when you look at these the, those teams in the East. Um, but the Nets still have the combination of Kevin Durant and James Harden, which can win you a lot of games. It can, but you need them both there then. Like having the three of those guys means that you have a buffer that if Durant gets hurt or Harden gets hurt or Kyrie gets hurt, you've got the other two there. If you've got two of them and one of them goes down, then you're in the situation that Brooklyn found themselves in in game six and game seven against the Bucks, while Harden was nowhere near you know, healthy. And it was Durant trying to carry him. And they couldn't get over the line. So I think it opens things up a ton. Now, I don't know what the Nets are, are going to do, but it feels like they're getting pretty frustrated where they might be in a situation where it's like, well, I don't know if we're even going to accommodate you even playing road games with us. Like, who knows what they're going to do with this. So if and when you're in the playoffs, of course, half those games are at, are at home. So I think it opens things up a ton. I think they become, not that they're unbeatable with all three of those guys there, but they are, to me, clear favorites. But if Kyrie is not there, and then you're down to Harden, Durant as the two stars, and both over 30, both who had significant injuries last season, then if one of them is down, then they become they become quite easily beatable. I think. Uh, my last question for you: How do you think this Ben Simmons thing ends up resolving itself, and when? <laughs> like, it, this is as messy a situation as we've seen between a, a team and a player in a while. Like I, it's even messier than Harden, I think, oh, just because yeah. the demand for Harden was much more clear and his destination's more obvious than what's going on with Simmons. And in Houston would take a package of, of prospects, and Philly won't right. do that, at least not right now. And Harden's a better player as well. So he's got that leverage. Like He can come in and say, I'm James Harden. Like I am a top two, top three MVP finisher for four or five years in a row. Like I'm legitimately this good, whereas other teams are like, yeah, well, we just saw what Simmons did in the playoffs. Like that doesn't appeal to us whatsoever. Like, when I started talking about this, say at the start of August, when uh, NBA players, they don't hold out. Like I'm not worried. He's going to show up. He might show up and you know be a bit whiny about things, and then they end up trading him, and he's just being petulant, and it's, just, you know, it's annoying the organization. I just didn't expect him to not show up because when's the last time this actually happened in the NBA? I, I can't think of anything happening in the last ten years. Maybe there's something I'm missing, but I. I it's really, you know, in recent history, unprecedented. I don't know what team, the team that I've always been thinking about is Minnesota, that they could you know, accommodate him. And obviously he's friendly with Carl uh, Anthony Towns there. You could see how that could work with a spacing big man like Towns and having the ball in his hands and Edwards. It's a lot that makes sense with how they could fit in Minnesota, but I'm not sure that that's what's going to go down. And they have some pieces they could offer back as well. But I don't really see many other 
many other scenarios around the league where where he makes a ton of sense that the assets given back is what Philadelphia would accept. It, it does, though, appear that Simmons is maybe a little bit, not reconsidering, but when the fact that, you know, that they're withholding that pay, which he thought that they maybe wouldn't be able to do, um, maybe that's hitting him a little bit where he, uh, in the in the wallet, when he's not, not quite all that happy with that, that might soften his stance or uh, change things around. But at this point, I don't really see a clear resolution. Yeah, it would soften mine. I think that, that is that is one hundred percent true. Uh, I that it's it is genuinely one of the most fascinating things I think that's happened in sports in a long time, just because of the player, the context. Like it is it is brand new. Uh, this this territory we're in. Uh, make sure you subscribe to get the Locked On NBA podcast, the Locked On Fantasy podcast. Right into your feeds wherever you get your podcast. Josh Lloyd, the host of both of those, subscribe as well to Locked On Lakers on YouTube. Thank you to uh, everybody for making us your first listen of every day. Um, you know, find more podcasts like Josh's to to follow us up with. Um, really appreciate you taking the time to do this. I know you're cutting like 46 of these a day, so uh, we 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 appreciate you coming on. Thanks a lot, guys.